2: Talk is Jericho, baby Talk is Jericho Talk is
3: Jericho, mama Talk is me All right, welcome to Talk is Jericho to the pod of thunder and rock and roll And of course, we've got The Rock And we've got the Duff McKagan Joke
1: Of the week Chris Jericho, Duff McKagan here uh, Listen uh, Somebody asked me the other day Uh, to name two structures that hold water. And I was like, well, damn. Thank you very much. Bye.
3: There you go. It's all in the delivery. (laughs) That's Stacy's new favorite joke. Uh, I got to tell you, Duff brings the jokes and the laughs for us and the delivery every Friday. Thank you, Duff. He's actually featured in the conversation today with Red Hot Chili Peppers Hall of Fame, Hollywood Star Walk of Fame recipient Chad Smith is here returning to Talk is Jericho with some crazy stories about a recording a record with the crazy Ozzy Osbourne with Duff McKagan. The return of guitar player John Frusciante to the Peppers, how that all went down, and how it's going for the foursome, recently reunited and reunited with producer Rick Rubin, who was on Talk as Jericho last year and gave us a little scoop on how the Peppers recording was going at the time. Chad will follow up on that, and of course he's talking all about Their new album, Unlimited Love, is out today. You can get it wherever you stream or buy music. It's also available at redhotchilipeppers.com. Chad is a great guest, as you're about to hear, if you remember him from last time. It's a very interesting and funny conversation. Chad gets very hyper. We get into his first audition with the band. What happened when they told him they needed him to shave his head to join? He talks about learning from P-Funk percussionist Larry Fratangelo. And Chad grew up in the suburbs of Detroit, where I'm recording this intro right now, not far from Cream Magazine offices. He's got a great story about being a 12-year-old kid and discovering that he could ride his bike to the Cream offices and who he met at the door. So the Red Hot Chili Peppers drummer Chad Smith returns. It's a great interview coming up. But speaking of the Detroit area, Save the World Tour kicked off tonight, Diesel in Chesterfield, Michigan. It was crazy, jam-packed, great time. Thanks to everyone who came out to rock with Fozzie on the first show of the Save the World Tour. We're going all across the states. And if you're in New York City, don't forget we're playing a special gold album presentation uh, party. April 11th at Gramercy Theater in New York City. We're doing a Fozzie show. and We'll be presented with our gold records for Judas and be among the first to hear Fozzie's new record, Boombox, when it's released May 6th. So much stuff going on. We're going all across the United States, Los Angeles, included. Whiskey A Go-Go. Go Go to FozzyRock.com for all the ticket information, all the tour dates, and all the VIP meet and greet information. Got so much stuff going on there. We play a mini set for you, five songs. Some you won't hear uh, later that night when we play for everybody else. Uh, So much stuff going on. FozzyRock.com as well. And like I said, Fort Wayne, Indiana. On April 1st, April 2nd at the Piazza in Aurora. April 3rd at the Epic Event Center in Green Bay, Ashwaubenon, Wisconsin. And April 4th at the 1175, Kansasville, Wisconsin. That's the first week of the tour. We're going everywhere. We want you to come join us, FozzyRock.com. All right, and don't forget about Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea for the Clover. We are setting sail February 2nd, 2023. We've got a great lineup of talent joining us. And for the first time ever, we're going to our own private island, Come experience the vacation of a lifetime. Do not miss out. 12 of our 20 uh, cabin levels are already sold out, and the rest are selling every day. So please go to ChrisJerichoCruise.com. Don't miss out, and don't miss out on the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Chad Smith bringing the funk to Talk is Jericho right here, right now.
2: My man!
3: Yes! I can't believe it. It's good to see you, man. How long has it been? I think the last time we saw each other is probably backstage on the last Peppers tour, probably 2017 or so. And I was hanging out in your, and this is my favorite story, hanging out in Chad Smith's dressing room, just played a sold-out arena, and Chad has his own dressing room.
2: Oh, yeah, stocked full of really exciting things. thing of water, cigarettes a hat
3: <laughs> maybe that's-, that's literally that's it there was two waters i think it was a pack of american eagle cigarettes and that was it
2: yeah <laughs> high maintenance me you don't uh, ask for anything else in your dressing room at all i just need a place to go to get away from people you know except the ones i want to hang out with like you right <laughs> i don't need any you know you know we have our little communal room where where we we all hang out but uh um Everybody needs their little time to get away, so to speak. So, yeah, no, I don't need anything.
3: Does it, it blow your mind kind of that you guys are playing arenas and now about to do a stadium tour where you
2: get your own dressing room considering where you were when you started? Uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> I didn't think when I joined the Chili Peppers, Chris, in 1988, the end of 88, you know, most bands last like maybe five years. And so – I thought we'd play some clubs, and who knows? Because the band was in was kind of, you know, we were an underground kind of college band and doing our own weird thing. And then, you know, nineteen ninety one came around, and everything changed, and music changed, and all of a sudden we're playing arenas and under the bridge and give it away, and all, and people are going nuts, and we're like, (laughs) "What, what the fuck? So no, I never, I never. I mean, hey, when I was a kid. Looking at you know, Led Zeppelin posters on my wall, I, that would have been the ultimate. And I never thought in a million years I'd be uh, still doing it to this level for this long. So, you know, God God
3: bless. It's amazing because the Peppers have become almost like multi-generational. Like I saw the Stones a couple months ago. And you go to that gig and there's obviously guys in their 70s. And then there's kids, and, you know, seven-year-old kids and teenagers and yeah. everything in between. And when I went to the Peppers, I noticed the same thing. It's become kids, older people, people your age, my age, and everything else.
2: Yeah, I, I, nothing better than looking down in the in the crowd in the first couple rows, and there's a, a mom and dad, and then the 20 year old, and then the 15 year old, <laughs> and they're all singing along. It's amazing, man. It's I don't if I had that formula, if I knew what it was, <laughs> we just we just doing our thing, Chris, and we're so fortunate. And and I think people connect to the the, the authenticity and the realness of it and the humanity of it where we do it because we love it. We play from the heart and, and that connects with people. So it's crazy. You mentioned playing arenas and we, we, we've talked
3: about it via text, but I haven't had a chance. You're doing your first stadium tour this summer. And first of all, as soon as I saw that, I was like, yes, of course the peppers should be playing stadiums. Cause once again, the Stones are going to be going for a few more rounds, and you know, there's, there's U2 and there's Metallica in certain points, but there's not a lot of rock bands playing stadiums, so whenever a band like the Peppers takes that jump, it's great for the whole scene, obviously great for the band. How did that come about? Are you a little, were you a little bit nervous when you first heard the plan?
2: Yeah. <laughs> you know, we've, we've done stadiums in Europe and, and South America and stuff. But never in the States, never in North America. We've always done arenas. We've done some big festivals, but not our own, you know, our own big shows. So John Pushante back in our group again. So it was partly just feeling like there's a new, renewed excitement around that. And, our, of course, making a new record. Then, you know, the whole pandemic and lots of bands hadn't played in years. And we just felt like, Let's get our balls out there and, and go for it. But you're always a little like, ah!
1: <laughs> you know,
2: but we've got some good groups and artists playing with us as well. You know, we've got Beck and, and The Strokes, Thundercat, and, and um, some other really, really good artists that are playing with us. So it, it'll be a good uh, a good night of, of rock and roll. So it's, a, it's you kind of have to think in a big, to think big. Go big. Right. Fuck it. So are you the type <laughs> of guy that, that looks at
3: numbers, like a first day sales, first week sales? You're kind of like. I try not to.
2: Uh-huh. But, you know, <laughs> at the same time, you kind of want to do know if it's if it's going well. We hadn't put out a record. I don't know if you saw. We did do like a little announcement thing where we were. It's hilarious. The, the newscast? Right. We were the newscasters. <laughs> and and I was the very sensitive, kind weatherman, <laughs> Randy Raindrops or something like that. Yeah, yeah. That went really well, and people really, really, you know, that I think that was helpful. It's doing well, you know. I'm knock, knock, knock on wood. <laughs> yeah, we're, we've sold out the SoFi and a bunch of different places, and yeah, we're just right now we're just gearing up for that. The record comes out April 1st, and And then, uh, you know, we've been rehearsing and and getting ready to play, and we'll we'll be in uh, Spain in the beginning of June, and then over here in July. The Peppers have always had a
3: great sense of humor. I love that uh, preview video that you did as the newscasters. Did John Fruchantier, did you tell him what's going on, or does he just show (laughs) up and you just act around him? Cause he was just kind of sitting there with no idea when the tour was, and it fits his personality completely. Yeah,
2: no, that was it. He's like, I don't do comedy. He's like, I'm just gonna be the straight man. We're like, great. You just be you, and we'll just be us, and it worked out perfect. Yeah, that, it was great. We had a good time with that, and and um, now he's 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 um, you know dedicated and, and into it, playing great, and Chris, he just wanted to play guitar in a rock band again and he's like and the chili peppers is the only band i want to be in my question you know to him was was just like well you know there's a lot of other stuff that goes along with just writing songs and recording and all the touring and all the things you know about being in a band sure and you know i just want to make sure he was down for that and he he is he's ready he's ready to go and and so it's pretty exciting. I think we have some unfinished business with playing with him and creating music with him. And we did a lot of songs like we always do. And, you know, we had the, you know, unfortunately what was happening in the world, but we could just hunker down and, and write for months, like eight or nine months. We just wrote the four of us in a room and and we went with Rick and, you know, got the old band back together and that was it. And made a bunch of songs and
3: take a step back was it hard because i know we had a bass player in fozzy that left the band and then we brought him back for a second time and then he left again and the thought of bringing him back a third time seems completely unfathomable obviously not as legendary as the chemistry between the four of you with john Frusciante. Is that something that you and flea and, and anthony discuss like okay if we bring this guy back for a third time are we going to get fucked again? Or, you know what I mean? Like, is it hard to kind of get that trust back? Or do you know him
2: so well that you knew he was in for the long haul? We do know that. I mean, I was surprised when, when you know, Anthony came to me and he was like, you know, hey, what do you think about getting John back in the band? I was like, and it had been 10 years. Yeah. So I I, I kind of thought that that ship had sailed, so to speak. And, and so I was surprised. But at the same time, Like you said, we do have this special chemistry, the four of us. You know, as you get a bit older, you you kind of realize that. You don't take that kind of stuff for granted. And and I love Josh. Josh Klinghoffer is an amazing musician, and he's my friend, and I love him. And, you know, we made some great music with Josh. But there is a a special thing that the four of us with John have. And I think we we wanted to – I mean, look, he's – a he's amazing bit of a wild card but you know but i think that that after talking to him and and he was more self aware and he was just really we talked about everything why he left and what's different and, this and many other things and he seemed in a really good place and he wanted to make music and we we were kind of feeling a little stagnant creatively so it just all worked out but um it'll be great for people that that have never seen Mm-hmm. The us with John, you know, and, and then people that have older people to to have him come back in our group and it's pretty exciting for us and, and I mean he's a special guy. It's just that he's one of the greatest musicians and certainly one of the guys that i best guys that I've ever been lucky to create with. He's you
3: know, in my opinion, is is a musical genius and <laughs> you know, it's the fine line <laughs> you're laughing. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> the fine line between insanity and genius. There's a lot of quirkiness that comes with certain guys. Sure, and you have to just accept it and go along with it, and and it's just part of
2: the of the overall package, right? Yeah, he's one of those guys. You know, it's it's amazing. I mean, he he's just so knows so much about music and a lot of things, but but he's so focused. He's a very focused individual at when whatever he's doing at that point in his life and um for the good and for and maybe for the bad but certainly right now he's in, he's man he's just all in it's it's exciting so you have to you have to bring you know that lifts up everybody else you know what i mean right which right. is which is also great and at this point in our career it's, it's fun to have that that renewed energy and it's just fun making music and, and that's the way it should be. You know, it should be just fun.
3: Absolutely. And, and the peppers too are essentially, you know, obviously Anthony's the frontman, but it's a very tight knit trio yeah. of, of the three of you guys. When you start uh, jamming with flea and, and with, and with John Frusciante again, I don't know. Do you have to change your playing than when you're playing with Josh uh, with flea as a rhythm section? Is it more energy? You mentioned more energy. Is it more frenetic? Is it a different stylistic way? Like how do you adjust between, two different guitar players or Dave Navarro or all these different guys that you've had whenever you bring somebody new in?
2: You know, obviously Flea and I have been playing together for 30 whatever years. (laughs) So we, we have a thing that would kind of this unspoken musical telepathy, which only comes from, from playing with people for a long time. But, you know, I'd say with, with John, I mean, you always adjust, you know, you gotta be a good listener and you always it to different musical situations, different players, people play differently. But, there is a familiarity. I was talking to John the other day, and and he was like, you know, Chad, you're really the only drummer. I mean, he's played with other people, but he's like in a band. He goes, my playing is is you're you're drumming, and obviously Flea's bass playing. But he spoke speaking to me. It's like you're drumming. That's what I play off of. I'm so used to that. You know what I mean? It's it's right. That's part of the feel and part of the, what, what works and, and why it works. And so it's, you know, it took a little bit, you know, you kind of re-dance partner and, you get the, <laughs> and the shoe has a shoe. You get right back in the old <laughs> leather shoe. And it was fun, you know, but he, when we first came back, he, he's like, I haven't really been playing guitar very much. He was doing a lot of electronic music and other stuff. It took a little bit, but I mean, he's, he, not long. He's he's just like he's amazing, and so. But as a band, it sounds like Chili Pepper. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I don't know what else to say. It's just kind of it, and so it's different, and we're playing different music, we're writing different songs with different people, all that stuff. But for some reason, like you say, the the three instruments and the voice is an instrument, of course, but the three you know two melodics and a rhythm one and you make a, a a unique racket you know and it's it's pretty it's pretty fucking cool
3: and of course the other missing piece of the you know the classic peppers stew is is Rick Rubin you mentioned he was on Talk is Jericho a few months ago and mentioned that that he was doing the peppers
2: again I know I, I heard and you were like what yeah I couldn't believe it it was a scoop <laughs> I got a scoop I know because I know, he we wasn't supposed to talk about anything I got in trouble for like doing something, and they're like, you're not supposed to say anything about the oh, <laughs> One of those, you know, oh, sorry, shit. Yeah, and I heard Rick was, uh, you were talking to him, and he said, which I found interesting, I just did his podcast not too long ago, and he brought this up, and he said, when he came and listened to us rehearse, for the first time, we played him our songs. We hadn't played him for anybody else, I and mean, Rick came down, and he was so emotional. He was like, just to see us together playing, and he wasn't like critiquing the songs or what about this chorus or that. He was just like walking around the room, just like with this big grin on his face. <laughs> and he said when he left, he was crying. Yeah, it was amazing. I was like, wow, yeah, he was really moved, you know. So, I mean, Rick is um, obviously everybody knows his history and what a amazing producer he is, and. And he's been with us from the beginning, or from the beginning, I should say, from Blood Sugar on. That's 30-whatever years. And we've made all of our records except for one with him. So we, it felt natural to, to go back and, you know, have Rick on board. And he's just a smart musical guy. He's such a music fan. Mm-hmm. He just knows what he likes. And he's very direct about it, but in a kind way. And he just knows he knows us. And we know him. So they're, they're, that that helps, and we trust each other. We don't always agree, but most of his ideas are pretty good. You know, he's been doing it a while. He kind of knows what he's doing. Yeah. And he knows he knows how to find the essence of that piece of music that you're playing, and bring the, the the really interesting or unique thing of that song or that that music, and make that shine. And often, sometimes we won't see that through the the forest through the trees kind of thing. Hey, wait, you hear this? And, uh, and we just think it's the greatest thing. I'll be like, that's good. You, 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 you know, you did that on Californication. It's really good. And then we'll play him some jam from Tuesday and he be like, that, make that a song. That's awesome. We're like, what? You know, so sometimes you need that, that objective thing because we're so caught up in, and you know, of the the music and coming up with ideas and parts and stuff sometimes you need that person that has no emotional connection to it and and yeah and he's really good like that and he and he was into it Man, he was he was just like everybody was elevating their their game and and it was really fun it came real quick which is all also good when we recording process that's good for us just tweaking but getting good performances—we all play live. We're we're on the floor, no clicks. We just we just play like wow. a band. Yeah, that's it. We just get try to get good performances, and Rick is really good with that as well, knowing when it's still getting better, and then when it goes this way, he's like, okay, let's take a break or let's do a different song, and he's really good like that.
3: It seems like when you're writing from from talking to him, he's kind of more of an observer. Yeah, Like you mentioned, he kind of just hears and listens and picks out little pieces rather than being the the knob twiddler, as we discussed.
2: Yeah. No, he's not a musician. He doesn't play. I mean, he played guitar in a band a long time ago in New York. I forget the name of the band, but that didn't last too long. I enjoy seeing him in those old Beastie Boy videos. Right. He's got short beard. (laughs) He's just so like. A little college kid. Yeah. Not the Rick that you know now. It's so (laughs) funny. Ah, Youth. (laughs) <laughs> but he yeah he's such a music fan he just sits back and and sometimes that throws people off you know because a lot of producers that are in there and you know hey and they're out there fucking cheerleading or this part or that they really put their stamp on it and rick just kind of the he just wants to capture you he doesn't want to flavor it or influence it too much and certainly in the sound or the sound of us playing with rick rubin producing is the sound of of four guys in a room. Yeah. There's some overdubs and background vocals and stuff, but the core of it, and he's like, because you guys are one of the only bands that can still fucking all play <laughs> and play well. Because Pro Tools, you, you know, yeah. you can chop everything up. And then it sounds like, hey, it's great for a different kind of music, but rock and roll, the way we do it just get out there. And it's a performance. It's supposed to move around and, and build and the dynamics. And, and he goes, you guys know how to do that. Do it. Nobody does that anymore. Blah, blah, blah. So that's another thing. And he knows how to get out of the way and he knows what to jump in and say, oh, this is and offer with me. He'll push the button. Hey, did you always do that, Phil? I'm like, <laughs> what about just boom? What would, what would, what would Phil Rudd do? Ah, uh, He just, he goes. That's the live version. Save that for the live version. <laughs> Fuck! I'm trying to get my little chops in. <laughs> but he's like, whatever serves the song, what's best for the song, and you know, and he's right. And so my job is to just make it feel good, play with dynamics. If I get lucky, I can come up with a a beat or a hook, a drum thing that that helps the song. And and I, I'm not too concerned these days with like. The ultimate snare sound, or they're this or that, or it, it's more just what serves the song, and sonically and part wise and musically. And so I'm just trying in there and, and make it feel good because you know, every you know, people talk about Ringo Starr. Oh, technically, he's not this, he's not that, which is bullshit anyway. But like, right. right, every Beatles song feels great. Yes, that's what you as a drummer in a rock band, that's what you want. You want that, you want it to feel great. So whether it's live or in the studio, but especially in the studio, that's the most important thing. So like that's that's at the top. You know, the other shit's fine, but
3: make it groove. It's amazing, man. As we get older, it always comes back to Phil Rudd, always comes back to Ringo, the masters of playing for the song,
2: right? It's simple, but swinging their balls off. Yeah. And that's it. Uh, there's music that should be, you know, real straight and mechanical, but with the, what we do and those bands. I mean, Phil is a perfect example. It's like so straight, but in between those notes, there's that undeniable swing that he has. Yes. That with other drummers in ACDC, they're great drummers. Not the same, though. He has a special thing. Mm-hmm. And the perfect example is John Bonham, you know, although technically amazing. But when he's just grooving straight like a cashmere or something, the swing underneath it the way the placement of the notes is everything and that's and ringo the king of that shit it's amazing and so yeah as you get older you you kind of understand and maybe that's just thing that comes with time and experience and that's what makes a good song for at least for a drummer that's the thing just make it feel good you remember when, when you were a
3: kid i mean obviously you mentioned Bonham. i don't know if you ever saw him live as a young drummer did you go to
0: gigs and see a few guys with the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70 yard field goal it probably won't go well so, set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.
3: Light shone on you and the Blues Brothers, oh, happens <laughs> where you're like, oh my gosh. Or does it happen nowadays? Is there anybody that you see that you just go, God, man, this guy's got it. Yeah.
2: You know, I saw Led Zeppelin in 1977. At the Pontiac Silver Dome. Wow. Which is a shithole. I think it's been <laughs> yes. torn down. It was in December. It was one of the it was and I had nosebleed fucking see. This is a seventy six thousand seat play. I think that's where Hulk Hogan WrestleMania three took it from Andre the Giant. He didn't know Andre the Giant was gonna give it up, did he? For <laughs> yeah, the he last says. minute, supposedly. <laughs> But yeah. that place, it's fucking, you know, Enormodum. And I was so high, and I was so far back, and Zeppelin was late, and it sounded like shit. I was just there. But I just wanted, you know, obviously Led Zeppelin was, was you know, my, my favorite band, certainly at that time. And, but I did have a Kiss moment with, with seeing Kiss as my second concert at Cobble Hall, again, a smaller venue in Detroit where they recorded one of the Kiss Alive records. And on the back of the album, oh. the first Kiss Alive album, there's a picture of those two dudes holding, yeah. it, holding up the post. You're looking very mullet midwest. <laughs> <It's> like <laughs> such a snapshot <laughs> of 75. Uh. Um, I was at that. That was my second concert ever, Chris. I, at that gig? Yes. I loved Kiss. <laughs> I, I bought into the fire and the blood and the, and the whole thing. I loved all that stuff. I was at the 12th row, and those dudes were like five or six rows behind me. So before the show, I'm watching Finn Costello, photographer, walk down, take a picture of the guys, and, you know, sold out Cobo Hall. And I'm at that concert, and I'm 13 years old, and mind-blowing. It changed my life. Couldn't fucking believe it. Did. I mean, I loved kids so much, and I'm like, oh, my God. They're right there! <laughs> I'm breathing the same air. You know, it was it was really Peter Chris, say what you want about him, what you want about Kiss's music. But Peter Chris had a swing. That was like, I knew I wanted to do it before then, but I was like, I want to do it like that. I want to do that right there. I want my riser to go up, fucking twenty feet. The fucking,
3: twin, <laughs> the fucking hair. <laughs> come on, yes. Who doesn't want that? Who
2: I doesn't st- want that?
3: I still think the drum solo on Kiss Alive is the best recorded drum solo uh, as far as live albums go. It was. It's still. It's very musical. Yeah,
2: it holds up. It holds up. I did speak to Eddie Kramer one time, and you know the, the infamous producer Zeppelin, Jimmy Hendrix, uh, and he. He mixed that album, but there's a lot of uh, stuff on there that's not so live.
3: Sure, Paul even says that there's a lot of studio re-recording, etc. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like he it really burst my bubble when he told me. I'm like, "What?" <laughs> and he goes, "Well, oh, you know, they were live, band, They couldn't fucking even, you know, jumping around, and you know, even their instruments were bad." <laughs> I was like. Oh, you got a point there. Okay. All right. All right. Don't look behind the, the curtain. The great Oz is there, fixing everything up. But still fucking going. Unbelievable. How many farewell tours can you do?
3: <laughs> exactly. I think this one is the one, though. Yeah. This is the farewell of farewells. Well, I, I think why? 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 Not because somebody said that. In talking with Paul and Gene as well, I think it's hard to wear all that equipment. <laughs> All the clothes and the pla- – because they still got the platform heels.
2: Unbelievable.
3: And, you know, yeah. 73 years old, wearing that extra gear, I think that's the, that's the issue, I think. It's not like, you know, Peppers, you
2: just wear a sock on your cock and you're fine for the gig. Yeah, run around. That doesn't weigh much. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Paul still – he's in good shape. He he runs around in shape. yeah Gene, maybe not so much. He just stands there on six his target. So he's the demon. He shouldn't be running around, He's right? the demon. He's not running around. Yeah. All right, well – We'll see. Well,
3: but speaking of legendary guys and speaking of, of, of you know, l- drummers that have, I mean, you've now become, you know, one of the premier, in my opinion, the best rock drummer uh, in the world
2: today. Oh, you're so smart and handsome and powerful <laughs> and a genius of <laughs> rock and roll. Yes. <laughs>
3: and you told me uh, last time you are on the show or in, in private or whatever, that, that you were kind of Rick Rubin's bullpen drummer. And when he did the Sabbath record, you yeah. didn't get the call. They gave Brad Wilk the call. I know. Fuck! <laughs> but the consolation prize. Yeah. Door number three. Yeah. Is playing on, on Ozzy's last record, Ordinary Man, with the amazing rhythm section of of, of Chad Smith and Duff McKagan on bass. Yeah, not bad. I, we've never even talked about this via other than some text. How the fuck did that happen? And how did you record it and kind of tell us that story? Because that's amazing. It's a great record,
2: too. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean... Andrew Watt is a producer and a songwriter and a, an amazing musician. And, and he, uh, a friend of mine, young guy, his, I think he's 31 now, but he's he got into the pop world. He's like a rock guy who started out that way. I think he was in Justin Bieber's band or, or, or somebody and wrote songs with Bieber and and kind of got into the pop world and started Writing songs and playing and producing these guys and had huge hits for guys like that. And he was also he was also in a band with Glenn Hughes and, and Bonham, the California Breed. He was. That's where we met at the Whiskey A Go Go.
3: Ah, Na- there you and go.
2: Perfect. And <laughs> I knew Jason and Glenn
3: where Lizzie Borden played and where you played. I saw you there. That's right. Hey. You did see us there. That's right. There you go. It all ties into the whiskey. And there you go. All about the whiskey.
2: So yeah, so he's he's a rock guy. And but, you know, he just kind of fell into this pop world and so that's a small world and he started producing these other artists and so fast forward, he was working with Post Malone on um, Post Record and they were at like, you know, the the Rainbow or something and Andrew's like, "Posty, you're you're like the modern day Ozzy, You just like, you know, beer drinking and this that, you know, you lovable. And he's like, I fucking love Ozzy Osbourne. I, you know, Post is also a rocker. Mm. Andrew's like, boom, let's get Ozzy on one of your songs. And I'll write a song and I'll get Chad to play on it. And da, 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 da. That's what happened. It's on Post's record, Hollywood Bleeding or something like that, it's called. And Ozzy comes down to, and Andrew has a studio in Beverly Hills in his basement. Ozzy comes, and he didn't even know who Post Malone was. <laughs> <laughs> the fucking Postman! What? What? <laughs> <laughs> but is what? But Kelly knew, obviously, and Andrew was friends with her. But he had fallen. This Now, this is over, this is like three years now. He had fallen and hurt his neck really bad and had surgery and was not bouncing back like the Ozzy, you know, the bulletproof Ozzy. And so... He does the, the feature on the, on the post song and then he leaves and had a great time. And he's telling fucking stories. He's just Ozzy's peeing in the bushes. It's like <laughs> fucking like does not disappoint. We're, we're all just like, Uncle Ozzy. I mean, it was amazing. I had met him, but a long time ago. So he leaves and, and Kelly's like really emotional. And like she's like, oh, I haven't seen my dad that happy. In six months, he's been moping around the house, this and that and the other thing, and we're like, "Of course, because he's around like the dudes, and he's singing and doing music and telling and farting and telling fucking." He's he's like, "This is what he that he loves. That we all do." He needs she's like, "Oh my god, it would be so amazing. He needs to make music again." Light bulb. Watts like, "Let's do an Aussie album." I'm like, "Great." He was in, and we had Duff. You know, it was our friend, and and we called Duff. And and you want to come down and and we'll just make some songs. And literally, Chris, because he has the studio where the gear is like all set up, all the mics ready to go at any time. He came over, Duff came over for four days, four afternoons. They're like from one to six. And it was literally, who's got a rip? Wow. And Watt would have one. Duff would have one and I would sit there and I would listen and we'd make arrangement I'd, you know, check stuff and go record it like right away. And we did nine songs in those four (laughs) days. Nine basic tracks written and recorded. Boom! And It'll be like, well, we love it when, you know, like in fucking War Pigs where there's a stop and then it's just Ozzy. Let's do like, we (laughs) just wanted to do all of our favorite Sabbath (laughs) Ozzy and And we would reference that shit. And so they're straight to hell. And then under the graveyard, I got this. And da 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 And Ozzy likes to sing about aliens. And he loves the Beatles. And, blah blah. and so we just kind of did that. It happened really quick. I mean, again, like as a kid, Ozzy Osbourne has one of the most unique voices, instruments in, in rock and roll. Like, right. opens his mouth, you know it's Ozzy Osbourne. It doesn't matter what he's singing the fucking phone book. Yeah. It doesn't matter. And he still has that. And it's amazing. And so we just wanted to honor that, and shit, we thought this is probably the last album Ozzy, you know, was ever gonna make. Who knows? Yeah. So that comes out, does great, couldn't tour, and pandemic, and all that shit. So we made another one.
3: <laughs> so there's another one that you did, and it's getting mastered tomorrow. Wow, that's another scoop. And another scoop. For- oh <laughs> shit, I'm in trouble again.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so we did another. We got Robert Trujillo playing wow. on some songs who ben and ozzy's band duff's on a couple again and me, and andrew do it but check this out so we've got the english royalty of guitar players so tony iomi and ozzy have never collaborated outside of black sabbath tony sent us a bunch of riffs and we grabbed we took what we thought was the best one, which is fucking great. So I didn't get the, Bra- Brad got the gig, but this is oh. the closest to Black Sabbath I'm ever going to get. <laughs> so Andy's on the bass doing like the fucking great. The bass on the song is amazing. And Tony sent us the riffs, you know, Files. He's in England. And we played to it. It's fucking got everything. It's got all, you know, all the stuff that you would want. Ozzy loves it. And so he's on that track. Jeez. Then then Eric Clapton plays a fucking Wawa Cream type solo. We're like like Eric, can you solo on this song? Wawa, please. Eric, <laughs> what do you think about this with the Wawa? Everything because <laughs> yeah. that's his fucking thing, you know? He's and, and so he's soloing all over this other track. Then Jeff Beck is on Jeez. two songs. Wow. Uh, now we try to get Jimmy Page. We try to get the Holy Trinity. <laughs> I don't think Page plays anymore too much, unfortunately. Right. But Mike McCready's on a track. Uh, Josh Homme, my neighbor from Queens, solo's on a track. And then Zach Wilde is, is on the record as well, all over. So it's like, if you're a guitar player, pretty fucking good.
0: The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed?
3: When you mentioned that that uh, you were playing live were you playing in the studio with Duff together as a rhythm section Yeah yeah, yeah. So how yeah. was that playing with him because obviously you, you you've had some great bass players with Flea and Michael Anthony and now Duff McKagan I mean this is this is another amazing musician for you to jam with Incredible
2: Duff is Duff is so musical and he you know he plays guitar like he would come up and he would ban acoustic guitar and have these riffs and he's a great musician and he's got such a sound that did it like his growly fucking like night you know like he does that shit and he does it good and it's him which is so great yeah he's a great musician he's got great time and musical and and both those guys are always like i'm used to again trying to just play what's right for the song not too much a little fill going into the chorus maybe in the outro I'll do a little bit they're like you're Chad fucking Smith. Go for it. <laughs> fucking go for it. They're like they're like, come on. Ah! And I'm, I'm like, all right. They're like, no one does that anymore. They're like, letting Andrews is like, you, Chad. You're like the matador. It's like <laughs> the bull. Yeah, the bull. I'm the bull. No, the matadors are like. And he's like, I don't fucking sit down at the drums. Wait, wait, wait. Because I know in the first and second take, that's the shit that we're going to want. You're going to start thinking about it. Often not good, especially for me. You start thinking too much. And he's like, I just know the arrangement and then fucking go for it. So there's a lot of, uh, I hope, appropriate overplaying on the record. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
3: We'll see. Did you mention that you said you couldn't tour on it because of the pandemic? Was there ever a, a thought of doing some shows?
2: You know, there was there was talk about it. Jeez. Obviously, it, I know. Oh, man. I would have been fucking amazing. At least a couple, like an LA oh, yeah. one and a, a New York or something. Um, I don't know about a tour, but I hope that Ozzy like, gets prideful. He wants to be up yeah, there of course. doing his fucking thing. And I, I, I get it 100%. You know, I hope someday to play any of those songs. Just
3: to see you plays Crazy Train and Over the Mountain and some of those classic tunes, man.
2: so Fucking great. Yeah, he's the best, man. It's he's great because
3: uh, during pandemic lockdown, you know, I'm watching a lot of different documentaries and watching a lot of different shows and... I'm watching Count Me In, the, the drummer documentary, and there's my <laughs> friend Chad. There he is. And there he is. And then I watch the Cream documentary, and there's my friend Chad. And it's like there he is again. There he is. I love Can't get rid of that fucking guy. <laughs> I love the Cream story that you had, which I would love for you to tell. Now, obviously, well,
2: what you mean, a ginger, the Ginger Ginger Baker one, right? The Beware of Mister Baker. Uh, the, no,
3: the 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 one with Alice Cooper and the Cream uh, magazine.
2: Oh, Cream, right, of course. Sorry, sorry. I made mean, Cream of the band. Yeah,
3: not Cream the band. Yeah, Cream, the the, the, the famous rock and roll magazine from the 70s. Yeah.
2: Great yeah, documentary
3: that came out. It was. They sent me a coffee cup with the boy, howdy, Cream guy on it. And it was just amazing. Yeah. But your story is just a, a beautiful story that I just I watched it three or four times.
2: Well, I grew up outside of Detroit. Of course, it was, that's where, unbeknownst to a young 12 year old Chad, Cream Magazine, which was a rock and roll magazine. I mean, there was Circus and Hit Parader, maybe another one, but Cream was the kind of bible for a kid. But it was irreverent, and they they made fun of the rock stars, and the writers were incredible. It was funny, and and right, they you know would show candid pictures, and it was just it was great. I loved it, and I read it every month, and so in the Detroit version that you got there was a yellow local section maybe in the middle or somewhere and it would talk about all the local bands that were playing whatever local shit was going on i thought that was kind of weird not not weird but i didn't really understand why you know somebody must you know right must have stapled this in there something like, free magazine <laughs> yeah. it's like oh uh-huh. so i look in the front in the table of contents and i look at the bottom in the fine print and it says You know, if you have any comments or this or that, send it to, you know, here's the address, Birmingham, Michigan, which is literally the next town over from where I live. (laughs) I'm like, get the fuck out of here. There is no way. I get on my fucking 10-speed, my Schwinn, a 12-year-old chap. I I knew the street because it was right next to Discount Records where I used to steal my first record. I was a 12-year-old. Try to <laughs> try to crotch a Masters of Reality album. <laughs> Shove it down your your pants, yeah. right? Yeah. What, what is that? <laughs> I got caught. So I'm I'm on my my orange tenth beat, and I I get to the street. I think it was Maple. Can't remember exactly now. And I'm looking at the addresses, and you know three, four, six, seven, three, four, six, five, three, four, and I stop. And it's this indescript-looking building. Literally, as I stop and clock the address, the door flies open, and out comes Alice Cooper (laughs) with a fucking Budweiser, no shirt on, stumbling out. In the afternoon, I'm like, holy shit! It's real! Oh, my God! I was just like, (laughs) <laughs> the whole time it was here, <laughs> unbelievable. Again, that was another thing. It was like, man, like if Cream, man, yeah, I remember at twelve, like everything is magical and and right you know, unattainable and mysterious and you know scary and dangerous and you know rock and roll in the seventies. And I was like, it's right here. Fuck, if, if, if Cream can do this shit, maybe. Little old Chad can get fucking lucky, too. At, once I got over the fact of, like, oh, my God. And then, for, and then like, a couple of weeks later, I would, like, I would just kind of hang out. I would go to that store. And remember the day, Chris, you're probably not old. You would just go into the record store. I didn't have any money. And you would just look through the eye. Just look. Just yeah. look. And look at the covers. Oh, this looks cool. That guy looks, like, fucking insane. <laughs> oh, look at the tits on that one. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's why I didn't have a penny in my pocket. But I would look at those records and, like, wow, this is so cool and so great. So I would do that. And then I would kind of, you know, hang around and see who might stumble out of Cream Magazine. I never, <laughs> I never saw anyone again. But that first time was mind blowing for sure. Well,
3: it's amazing, though, because that's how influential rock magazines were at that time. Like you mentioned, Circus. I had a subscription to Circus, and that was your lifeline to what was going on. Yeah. You know, the, the new Metallica records called Justice for All, I, th- I saw it in Circus. And, you know, the new Iron Maiden somewhere in time is coming out, you know, March 25th. Right. And you would wait until March 25th. And I used to take the bus down to the local. Re- is the new Iron Maiden out yet? No, not this week. Fuck. <laughs> take the bus home <laughs> next week. Take it back. Is it out yet?
2: No. Right. And that. Yeah. I mean, obviously, everything like now like this. But there was something about that that made you like even love it more. You had so much invested in that. I was so invested in those Kiss albums and, you know, when Dressed to Kill is coming out. Like you say, if you heard a little tidbit somewhere, and that was the only way that you heard it. Yeah. They weren't on TV. They weren't saying this or that. Like, it was that was really your only way was something in print. And even then it was like, you know, is this real? I don't know. Maybe they're just saying that. And I remember Led Zeppelin albums oh it's coming it's coming it's coming no it's not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a year later physical graffiti. Oh no, we're done recording it's coming out. But it made it so I don't know, it's just to me I, I maybe I'm just a sentimental old fart but I just love that like anticipation and just made it so much more special when like something and when someone and when a band came to town. I remember Led Zeppelin back then again I was really young. You, they, you didn't see them on TV. They weren't. They weren't even on like Don Kirshner's rock concert. They weren't. They didn't do any of that. They didn't do festivals. They weren't at Woodstock. They were their own thing, and it was like like this society, you know. And if you could, and they would put their tickets out, and they would sell out like that. And so that was it. you never heard. There wasn't ads for them, or it, it was like they were this really mysterious thing, which is amazing to me. I find that they gave you
3: more of a connection to, to the band. Talking about the Peppers, I remember watching Real Men Don't Kill Coyotes <laughs> on the, like, gosh, that's back to the Slovak years, yeah. but some small little video station, local UHF, hey, this is the Red Hot, Red Hot Chili Peppers, that's fuck? weird. Yeah. And then Mother's Milk came out, and I remember seeing you with the hair, yeah. no one else really had hair. Anthony had long hair, but she, like... It was like, what is what is with these guys? You gotta figure it out for yourself because there's really nowhere to read about it or hear about. it, right. You know, and I love that discovery, I guess you'd say, about about bands back then. Yeah.
2: Especially if it was a, a band that you didn't really know about. You were like, Whoa, what is this? And then you would go, somebody would turn it on to an older brother or your friend or something, and then you would get into it. And then it was like, Well, this is something I you know, not everybody knows about. This isn't some big giant thing that everybody else let listen. This is my thing. Like like some of those bands you talk like the Maidens and and some of those bands that like yeah. that new wave of British metal came over and it was like, I would watch MTV when MTV first came out. So what is that? 81, 81, 81? 81. Yeah. 81 or so. Yeah. And they would play any video and they would play. Yeah, they didn't
3: have enough videos to play. They just put anything on. Yeah, it. exactly.
2: Yeah. So they would play Rothschild. It was in like, you know. <laughs> Was it in rotation heavy rotation? I was like, what the fuck is this? This is fucking great. <laughs> Come in to get you. Da, 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 da. Clyde Bird. Bur- like, right? Right. Totally. And then it was like, wow, this is and I would ask my old buddies and like, do you ever heard Iron Maiden? No, I never heard of them. I'd be like, ah, oh, you're not it, you don't, you don't fucking know. That's the shit. That's
0: the new shit.
1: Guaranteed.
3: You mentioned being such a rock guy. Obviously, we know the story about you auditioning for the peppers and joining the peppers. You've got a great personality. Those guys have great personalities. When did you realize, like, okay, this is different from a normal rock and roll band? And we're gonna be doing some, we're gonna be wearing some light bulbs on our heads here, type shit. Like, was that kind of a collective effort, or was just everyone just going for it? We don't give a shit. Like, very unique, especially for the time.
2: You know, coming in, talking about that first audition, Like I, but before that, like I knew of the Chili Peppers. I knew who they were, and I heard of it, heard them. Oh, the guys' socks on their dicks. It's not the other thing. But I wasn't like a fan. I didn't have their records. I had to literally go out and buy the, the Abbey Road EP cassette to listen in <laughs> my right. car on the way to the audition. <laughs> I sat in the parking lot before I went in and listened to it. Okay, uh, uh, they do Fire by Jimmy Hanna. Okay, that's cool. Uh, <laughs> fight, like, fight like a brave, okay. <laughs> Fucking crime, straight fall. Okay, this sounds pretty good. But going in and you know setting up in there and and again like i you know from detroit I have my long hair bandana cut off shirt they're like ah oh, get this fucking guy out of here <laughs> they're not about like any sunset strip rock you know go go child for the fucking the cult or somebody you know that yeah, yeah you're, right exactly. you're in the wrong room pal someone someone had said that i eat drums for breakfast was what flea was told so i'm walking in with my drums and he's and i'm six three and they're not yeah and he's got his little green mohawk and then tattoos and you know it was that aesthetic was somewhat i think important i did not have that going on and they're like he goes oh oh, yeah is that your breakfast and (laughs) (laughs) And i'm like looking at you like what yeah what i'm looking at this fucking guy and anthony and john was 18 and he had a big long Black Mohawk and he had a Steve Vai fucking Ibanez guitar. With with, the handle. Yeah, with the handle. (laughs) He loves Steve Vai because he loves Zappa. But now he's in his favorite band, he's in the Chili Peppers, he's a kid. Not your normal, you know, guys. And but I'm like, yeah, hey, they have a record deal. Fuck, I'll try out for these guys. Kidding me? I was doing nothing. But as soon as we started playing, Chris, it was like, this is not a joke. This, this isn't a fucking joke band. Or this isn't some, you know, kooky look at me and I, I got funny hair. These guys can fucking play. Right. You know, we just started jamming. Immediately just set up and Fleece started playing. Everything back then was super fast and, you know, that that thing. And I was like, fuck. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just like in. And I was like, this is fucking good. I don't know what it is, but I, I'm <laughs> digging it. The energy. And Anthony's like running around, laughing his ass off. I'm like, ah, that's kind of weird. Like we were just jamming, so he wasn't singing. And John broke a string, and I've never seen anyone change a string faster in my life. And he just didn't want to miss out on the jam. He just
3: <laughs> fucking changing on the fly. He just yeah.
2: changed so fast. I was like, I knew that. I mean I'd never played with any any a bass player like Flea, obviously, obviously you know, but you yeah, gotta remember this is nineteen eighty-eight. This is a long time ago. And we just connected, we had a thing, and then we're jamming, and then I'm like, I like started doing double time and they were like, whoa, you know, oh shit, this guy's fucking leading. Okay, let's do that. I'll fuck oh yeah? It was one of like, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the hair and the bandana and that kind of fell away because they were like this guy's pretty good. And the producer who had produced the Uplift Mofo Party play on the record before Mother's Milk was just kind of hanging in the back, Michael Beinhorn. Mm, oh, wow. Yeah. I'm like, okay, you know, and they're like, okay, cool. We'll give you a call. Right. When I walked out, and I was like, oh, that was fucking, that was pretty fun. Beinhorn goes, and they tried out of the guys. And Michael said, that's your guy. And he's like, ah, the hair and the thing and the Detroit. And they're like, I'm telling you. That you got, wow! And so Michael, I, I, I owe him, you know. I Flea was in. I think Johnny, Anthony was the one that was like, I don't know, you know. I'm not really. just get good rock drummer and everything, and he hits hard. I don't know if he really gets the subtleties of some of our stuff. And I remember, he made me a cassette early on. Oh, after he said, so I got a call. This is how long ago this was on my friend's answering machine, who I was sleeping on his couch. <laughs> and it said, oh, it's, uh, yeah, we, uh, it's cool, we want you to join the band, but you have to shave your head. Come into rehearsal on Tuesday. And I was like, I'm not shaving my head. These beautiful fucking, <laughs> these beautiful Midwestern locks I've been working <laughs> oh, Fuck that. So I show up, you know, of course, there's the hair. Like, yeah, you can shave your head. I'm like, yeah, fuck you guys. I'm not shaving my head. They're like, Okay, we respect that.
3: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which is great. Showed you had some balls too,
2: right? Right. So you said he made you a cassette of, of of what? Oh, yeah. He made me a cassette of like the Meters and like, God, like the Neville Brothers and some, some P-funk stuff. Gotcha. And, yeah. And the deeper James Brown cuts, deep Sly Stone stuff, like more funk that I knew of, but he's like, this is an important part of what we do. Yeah, I want you to really you know, do your homework. And I was like, cool. And it was great. You know, like some Tower of Power and some other like super more slinky funk stuff. That, that, and, that, and he was right.
3: Because if you're going from a rock standpoint, you mentioned Ginger Baker and Bill Ward. They have a real kind of frenetic kind of jazzier style that I'm sure helped with the Peppers. Yep. But the funk is the one element that's really not in rock and roll. Was there a certain or a couple of funk drummers that stood out for
2: you that you learned from? I mean, early on, you know, in the in the early '80s, I had the the real honor and pleasure, and then it's funny Chris, this is how I first heard of the Chili Peppers. I was in a band called Pharaoh, which was t- a terrible band, <laughs> <laughs> but all the players were these really good players. I was the young, not so good player, but trying my best to keep up, and. The percussionist in that band was was his name is Larry Fertangelo, and he was the percussionist for PIFA. Oh, okay. And he had played on Freaky Styley because George produced it in Detroit. So in like '85 or '86, I think that record was in '85. it was after we, Larry and I had played together. He was like, hey, what what you been doing lately? Oh, I played well on this these crazy kids from California. George is doing, and he played me some of the like a couple songs. I was like, "Oh, that's cool." And I didn't think anything of it, but that that was the first time they came on my radar. But Larry really helped me with, you know, I, I was kind of wild and the and best way I could put it, like I was a drummer before and I worked with him for a year in this band. And when I got done after playing with Larry and he took me under his wing, then I was like a musician because I learned about time and dynamics, right. how to build a song and where not to play and what's just musical stuff whereas before I would just put my head down and bash my way through and hope to and stop it altogether kind of thing you know and this and he was like he really taught me a lot I mean he played with Dennis Chambers like great drummers and you know p funk and so I owe a lot to Larry because it was a time in my life where I really needed that schooling so to speak and he was patient with me and He's like, I'm going to, he played percussion, he had a big, giant setup. He's like, I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want. You just keep straight time. No matter what I do, <laughs> do not move. Bob and he'd be playing all around and trying to speed up and, and fuck with me, right? Yeah, yeah. And he's like, don't fucking move. You know, when it comes to funk, it's all about the one. So I listened to, you know, James Brown records. And, I mean, those are the Bible as far as, you know, that goes. And then, the, you know older stuff like a lot of the stack stuff and you know when a man loves a woman or or just like just all the yeah that kind of that you know muscle soul stuff and and see it's just the backbeat Al green just the backbeat that's it that's all you need that's it but it's where you put it you know and that kind of stuff and i and it took me a while i was like i can't really tell yeah, yeah. he's just playing straight i don't know listen you have to really fucking like and, yet, and again, you have to be at a certain point in your life where you can. where you understand it. Understand, it. correct. Yeah. Last couple of questions for you, Chad.
3: I mean, the, the record Unlimited Love, when Black Summer came out, I, I was like, it reminded me of By, when By the Way came out, the song. We were just like, yes, the Peppers are back. This is great. And then uh, Poster Child comes out and it's completely different, <laughs> which is what I love about the Peppers. There is no rules. No. Nope. For you guys. No. Nope. I think that's, you're one of the few bands, I mean, you throw out Beatles or, or Zeppelin, you could do whatever you want and people just accept it. Is the whole record like this of just different styles all, you know?
1: <laughs> is it all over the place? <laughs>
2: well, we got a lot of songs, which which we normally do. I mean, Buck Summer, you know, is, is, it's a, like a familiar sound, you know? Traditional I mean? like,
3: Peppers, yeah.
2: Yeah, and it's John's thing and, and that's cool. And I I love it. And then poster child's like uh, funk. And I don't know if we're going to do that live. Anthony's going to need a fucking (laughs) teleprompter. I know. And he oxygen. There's no breath in that song. I know. And we're doing it live, and he's like, he gets to like the last verse, and I see him like Ooh. <laughs> 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 that's a tough one. Didn't think about that when you were yeah, fucking right. writing 900 fucking words and, <laughs> that's right. and verse number five. <laughs> yeah, it's you know, Chris, we're lucky, man. We can kind of do anything like you say, and it still sounds like us. So there's, I mean, there's a little bit of everything. The next song comes out April 1st called "These Are the Ways," we just shot a video for, and that sounds like the hoop. I mean, I'm doing a bunch of fucking drumming on that one. So it, it, you know, there, it's but we love all, you know. Yeah. We love everything, you know. So when we do it, it you know, Anthony's voice, it's, you know, it sounds that's him, you know. So it's like he could tie it together, but. Musically, yeah, we, we can. it's so rewarding to have that, to be able to play whatever you want and just ends up sounding like, like Red Hot Chili Peppers. You, know?
3: you mentioned that you're kind of in rehearsals now. How many songs do you guys kind of have at the ready? Because I know the set list changes nightly.
2: Yeah, we're learning a lot of new ones just so we have them. And we haven't really played them you know, live, other than when we're in the studio, it's been a long time. So everyone's figuring out their pedals and their ground vocals and all that shit. Yeah, usually we start out kind of doing a certain amount of new ones and then you figure out which ones resonate or which ones go over or which ones you play well, better or whatever. Um it probably happens with your band yeah. sometimes. You think like, I can't wait. And then ah, and then <laughs> crickets. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. Totally. You're like, "Fuck." Yeah. <laughs> I really like that song. Yeah. Shit. No one else did. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Okay now we're going to play one of the songs, you know, so we'll have some of that, I'm sure, but we're, yeah, we're, we're, we're you know, we got, got a lot of songs, so we're doing um, mostly stuff from mine and John's area, you know, the stuff off of Blood Sugar and Californication, by the way, a lot of stuff from Stadium, yeah, and then new stuff, so that's that's where it's at right now, but we'll we'll start to hone it and and figure out what works, and as you know, you know that kind of takes a little time to, to figure it out. But right now, we're just trying to play and get the muscle working again.
3: But it's going good. Last two questions for you. There's a famous uh, kind of a home video that came out in '91 of you guys when you were recording "Blood Sugar Sex Magic" in the haunted <laughs> mansion. Yeah. Did you ever have any haunted experiences in the haunted
2: mansion? I didn't personally. The other guys did, but I, but Chris, I didn't. I didn't stay in the house. Those guys stayed at the house. I had just met my first wife, Maria. I wanted to spend time with her. No offense to the other guys. I was spending plenty of time with them. But I was going back and forth. And I kind of like to clear my head, you know.
3: Get away, yeah.
2: Get away, yeah. It was helpful for, for me anyway. But we had a security guy staying there. I would keep an eye on the equipment. And there was an old piano upstairs. He thought he thought he heard, you know, the piano going. I think he just <laughs> smoking way too yeah, much. Exactly. <laughs> and we're like, okay, yeah, whatever. And then he said he heard, oh no, he saw a woman in the front yard with a long white dress, like from the 20s or 30s, and she was walking around and he quit. He's like, I'm, I'm out. Wow. Yeah, I'm out. <laughs> you know, maybe the other guys did. I'm trying to think if they did. There was one room that was really cold for no reason, and, and somebody said that they felt like somebody had been murdered, and that, you know. I don't know. There's a place
3: in Milwaukee called The Rave. It's a famous kind of venue. Yeah. And everyone says it's haunted. So like, it's haunted. Do you want to go in the basement? I'm like, okay. And it's this tiny little basement with this kind of old school boiler and radiator. And it's like, it's fucking creepy. And I'm like, whether it's haunted or not, this is, this is creepy. This (laughs) is fucked up. I don't want to be in this place anymore. That's probably why people think it's haunted. You have a couple drinks, have a gummy, go down to the basement. It's haunted. (laughs) All right.
2: (laughs) Yeah. There was a, there was a lot of people thought it was Houdini's mansion, but it wasn't. Houdini's was across the street, so it's it's up Lower Canyon, and in the basement of the house we were in, there was a big blocked off. So at some point, there was a tunnel that went underneath the road, probably to Houdini's house. That was the house across the street. So and there were some weird things who fucking knows yeah, like yeah, you know yeah. <laughs> yeah again i don't want to fucking hang out down here this is yeah, exactly. fucking weird and dank and moldy and yeah, spiders in here yeah well, of course yeah no <laughs> this sucks i'm not no I'm not, I'm not doing that so yeah i mean you know lots of bands that, but we were the first band to be in that house with rick and he bought it and then now lots of people recorded and then we went back and recorded a stadium there. We did all the basic tracks for that record there. But he did Love and Rockets and Mars Volta. I think Manson did a record yeah. there. Slipknot, Slipknot did, yeah. Yeah. It's it's a great place. Yeah.
3: Well, last question for you, Chad. Yes, what's sir? your what's your favorite song on Unlimited Love and what's your favorite song to play live? There's is there one that stands out for you? Oh.
2: Um, right now, probably only because I get to do my Keith Moon impersonation. It's probably the song called These Are The Ways. Coming out April 1st, yeah. Coming out April 1st, lots of notes. It's it's rocking. It's pretty great. Live? Shit. Uh, maybe give it away because it's the last song. <laughs> <laughs> Spoken like a true vet. <laughs> you know, people, they sort of like that. And it's like the horse sees the fucking barn and... <laughs> There it is! I'm almost home! Uh, I mean, you know, that probably changes. And then, you know, playing new songs live is is always fun too, because they're new ones. But what's your favorite live song to play?
3: I think probably we have a song called Judas that's kind of our big hit single. And that's, like you said, like give it away. Everyone knows the words, everyone's singing. And no matter how many times you play it, Sting had a great point. Actually, Stuart Copeland did that the song ceases being yours and becomes theirs. It's their night, their moment. So it's it, Judas is the one. Yeah. Uh, because everyone's waiting for it. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. We just went gold. We got a gold record for that, Chad. Amazing! Our first. I have one. You have hundreds. No, 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 no. no.
2: <laughs>
3: well, you got a hundred books behind you. Right. You well, I'm
2: trying right. to hide the, the whatever those MTV <laughs> things are. My wife put those up and, and so I you know, I can't do that. Oh, there you go. Uh, yeah, we'll
3: blame it on the wife, right? The mo- exactly. Yeah,
2: blame it on the wife. Look at my stuff. <laughs> I'm so great and old.
3: <laughs> dude, so great to see you, man. I can't wait to see you this summer. Oh, I'm going to come see you at one of the stadium shows. Of course. And,
2: you just let me know. i am a
3: cigarette from you again. Come on back. Always. Of yeah. course, Chris. You're good? Your family's good? Everybody's good? Everyone's good, man. Yeah, we made it through uh, everything and and. My son's about ready to graduate from high school. You know how that goes? Oh, my God.
2: Wow. Life
3: moves forward, man. Wow. But it's cool.
2: Unbelievable. How does that
3: happen? I know. It's funny because when when I came and saw you the first time, we were in Tulsa. Yeah. And then the second time was in Tampa and I brought my son. And you're like, you want a cigarette? And I'm like, no, my son's here. <laughs> I don't smoke. What do I you mean? What are you talking about, Chad? I've never smoked a cigarette in my life. That's so bad for you. <laughs> right, son? <laughs> Oh, man. (laughs) All right, my
2: friend. Uh, Dude. All right, my brother. Great talking to you. You too. We'll catch up. Absolutely. Your city photographer!
3: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Chad.